This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again, Mobile Home Park Lawyer, with another great episode for you. Our guest today is a, a friend of mine. He's a mobile home park owner and operator. He's also done some syndication. He has apartments. He has other asset classes, but now... He's joining me, he's joining you in the MHP ranks. Uh, please help me welcome Larry Abramowitz. Larry, thanks for coming on. Hi, Ferd. Thanks for having me. You got it, man. Well, I obviously know you already, but for some of our listeners who may not uh, may not know you, know your background, give us a little bit more about um, your background and, and how you got in the MHP space as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm a manufacturing engineer. I mean, in the past, worked in aircraft engines and uh, appliances in general electric, then got my MBA at Wharton. At the University of Pennsylvania, and um, after that, worked in industry, moved to Colombia, um, and while I was there, I did some development deals, um, you know, on, a, on land that we bought, and just uh, played a little bit with real estate at that time. Uh, then moved to Florida um, in early 2000, um, and really started investing in uh, real estate heavily. Was 2014, started buying foreclosures. Uh, houses here in the auction in basically Miami. I live in Miami, Florida, and I was um, buying homes there, uh, you know, the auction, flipping them, just going in, fixing them, uh, and flipping the homes. I kept some as rental, other ones I sold. Um, also did some uh, industrial. I bought in foreclosure, um, a warehouse. I bought a, a, a restaurant in foreclosure, uh, you know, with, with a retail space. Uh, it was a retail space with an office, so I also did that. And anything I could get that the numbers made sense uh, until that dried up. I mean, the market and foreclosures pretty much dried up. I would say 2000, late 2015, uh, it was very hard to find deals anymore. Um, and then I wanted to do something larger, so I decided to go into multifamily and um, did a syndication of 108 units in Daytona Beach, which I still have that deal and it's performing very well and uh um now i've been now lately i've invested in two mobile home parks i bought about two parks this year and um the idea is to grow that business great so obviously you're the kind of guy that if i don't pay my mortgage you're going to come after my house so i need to make sure i pay all my bills because <laughs> you're the foreclosure expert um now i know this is one of the mhp deals i know I'm, I'm real familiar with it it wasn't a foreclosure but that was probably a similar deal that had some hair on it like a foreclosure what kind of what lessons have you learned from you know you're you've got a relatively brief timeline in mhp but you've got years of experience by working on some challenging deals private utilities you know challenging seller give us some of the, the highlights and lowlights on that deal yeah, the first deal I did, which by the way took me after I went to Frank's course, uh, multifamily university. I did that of May of last year, which was 2019, and I was, uh, you know, looking at deals for a while and uh, just, you know, starting to learn the business, underwriting deals, and uh, it took me almost um, close to a year to find the first deal. It was an assignment. Um, 
it was a hairy deal, which, you know, that's what I'm used to doing is a lot of hairy deals with a lot of issues. And I, uh, you know, it was, it was an interesting deal, but it was a 65 pad uh, park in Mays, Kansas, which is right north of Wichita, um, with only 20 occupied. And it was a, you know, it was a park that's been abandoned. It was inherited by the prior, um, by the owner from his uh, father. The park used to be full about 10 years ago. And then after his dad uh, passed away, basically the park was pretty much abandoned. Uh, it wasn't really being managed. So uh, we put that under contract on the, well, I took over the assignment back in December uh, to close around March and then COVID hit. So um, that just delayed the deal. We extended the deal till July for closing because really we couldn't travel. And actually we're closing July 1st and then I had COVID. Right. So I actually had to close that deal from my home with COVID. I was pretty sick and uh, it still went through the closing. And I, I mean, I wasn't able to physically be there, but, you know, implemented everything remotely. And, uh, you know, was lucky to have a great manager that I hired for that park, somebody living there. So that really helped me out to, you know, to take over the park. Um, that deal, um, my understanding when I met with the city, because I, I was really involved with the city on this deal, is that they had a, I was the seventh buyer wow. for that deal and nobody had really closed on it. And uh, the reason is because the city changed the, the ordinance for mobile home parks just because they were fighting with the prior owner because he wasn't playing, you know, well with the city. They were fighting all the time. So uh, they implemented all these new policies just, you know, against this park. And there's only two parks there in Mays and he's, um, you know, he, he was the one really being a pain with the city so they wanted the roads to be paved they wanted driveways um they wanted to have a new park um you know a shed for every home um new storm shelters i mean so it was a huge investment so everybody that looked at the deal basically said this numbers don't work uh what i did is i met with the city and told them listen you tell me i'm the seventh guy I'm, i want to make this work uh the problem is you know, to put half a million dollars into the roads, which is what you guys want, um, nobody's ever going to buy this, and you're going to have a sore spot right next to the school there that um, it's not going to work out. And I actually presented to them the homes I was bringing in. I showed them some photos of the brand new homes, which they'd never seen. Right. So they were very impressed, and uh, I was able to negotiate for them to finance the the new roads uh, with a 20-year bond at two percent. Um, that's 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 the most unbelievable thing I, I I think I've ever heard in MHP. That not only did you get permission to you know, maybe get out of some of the owner's restrictions, but you've got the city to issue a bond. I mean, it normally only happens on you know sexy retail projects or big employment centers, but you literally have a subsidized mobile park. That's great. So I mean, a couple obvious lessons yeah. learned there for our audience is one, get a good manager because you're halfway across the country in Miami to, to middle Kansas, but then two, don't just Take what the city says and accept it. You know, dude, this wasn't a zoning letter per se, but you negotiated with the city in good faith, and it was you went through, you know, to some degree, a political process um, to bend the rules to your favor so that you can better perform, better provide more affordable housing, save this mobile home park. So, definitely uh, good work on that, and not a lot of people would be able to pull that off. Obviously, you're a seventh guy in line, and I know that I know that market is a great market. Wichita in general, and, and I know from talking with you that May School District is, is highly sought after, so I'm sure that's going to be a great project for yeah. future demand and everything. And I also negotiated to rezone the the park from 66 homes to 88 uh, 
sorry, from 66 lots to 88 lots. Wow. Uh, so, I mean, it was a lot of relationship building with the city and just a lot of meetings remotely and in person. And, um, you know, they're very happy with the progress we're doing with the park. And, um, you know, the idea is to really fill it up. I mean, we got to bring in about 60 homes in there. And uh, we just started bringing in homes, uh, set up a model home that was there this week, and we got that set up. And now we have a... Uh, two homes arriving this week, one next week, and uh, total have about 30 homes uh, pre-ordered. I also was able to buy um, a used house this week. I, I went to a park that was two hours away. I just doing research on the internet, I found out a park that was being shut down by the city for development and everybody had to leave uh, by the end of February. So I was able to talk to that city and they got, basically gave me the homes that were abandoned for free. Wow. So um was able to, to get that done um just this trip and uh, we're picking up the homes next week. They already approved it. Um so I mean I was able to pick two homes that were worth it. The re the rest were really junk. Uh and I was able to buy a home for five grand from uh, a couple that needed to move out. So um yeah, just a lot of activity at the park right now. I mean we have a lot of stuff going on. Uh we have to clean up a lot of trash junk that was left behind um we did a park cleanup we're trimming trees um so yeah it's exciting i mean the park actually the other thing is the city while they do the roads the paved roads they also helping me fix the roads so they actually came in and fixed all the roads um wow. and fill up all the holes and everything for about a thousand dollars i mean so that was a i mean that was a great deal they brought all their equipment and they repaired all my roads and they're they're just you know working very well with them i mean just uh, cleaning up the park I think I need to put a disclaimer on this episode that this is not normal. <laughs> so don't tell people like, oh, it's really easy. You just go to the city and they pay for your campaign. No, it's not easy. It took me um, six months of negotiation. I need to hire I need to hire you as the other way around. You might negotiate. <laughs> it was a lot of work to get it done, but you know, we finally made it work. So yeah, it's, uh, it's they're not they're project. not all they're not all that easy or that good. Not that it's easy, but they're not all that good. Um I know your other your other part too has got that one's got some here on it. Tell us about the private utilities and how you, you know, as an engineer, you're obviously very analytical. And I would I would say cynical at things that by nature where hey this what could go wrong and you got to underwrite it you got to look at it and, and nothing probably nothing more than private utilities scares mm -hmm. most owners so you you tackled it right out of the gate um, tell us about that experience well the Mays Park has a uh, public utilities individually meter so that was easy right the but second for the, for the deal is in East Peoria Illinois 147 pads very hairy deal also. Um, I mean, you're familiar with it because you helped me with all the legal stuff, which was great. And you've been tremendous help through that process. So, um, um, but that park had uh, private utilities and um, a water well and also um, wastewater treatment plant. Um, I had seen a few deals with wastewater treatment plant. And actually, while I was uh, working in manufacturing, I had to manage uh wastewater treatment plant in the facility that, that I was managing back in Colombia. So I, I'm familiar with them. I mean, they're, I mean, you look at them the first time they're scary. I mean, it's scary and nasty kind of thing, but I mean, you, you just have to learn how they work and understand if the systems are, are operating well, the pumps are well, the pipes are well, and the tanks are in good shape. Um, I mean, I did a lot of, I hired some engineering firms just to do some studies on them and make sure that, you know, especially the tanks is the biggest expense in there. The rest are just pumps and pipes. I mean, it's nothing, not rocket science. Um, and I mean, the major thing is checking the permitting. I mean, and that's where I spent most of the time was making sure that the permits 
uh, and violations were, um, there were no violations. This park had a violation, which was disclosed by the seller back 10 years ago. Uh, and they took care of it and they added some additional tanks and clarifiers. So the water was coming out super clean. Um, right. Cleaner than what it really was a requirement. So that part, it's, you know, I reviewed and I, um, on the wastewater treatment plant and then on the, on the uh, water, on the well, uh, the nice thing about this deal is because they also had a violation from a few years ago, they had invested in a brand new, you know, well, pretty state of the art would all do a hydronomatic tank and, um, you know, it was, uh, with a lot more capacity than the prior one. So it was, it was basically built to fill up the park. And that was about, it wasn't that about a hundred thousand dollar expenditure that the seller had to provide? They spent a hundred grand on the wastewater treatment plant and about another hundred grand on the, on the on the well um and and the nice thing about it is they they left the old well there i mean so i got to, i have a backup well which was a big deal for me uh this deal took a while to close as you know because uh the the new well they didn't have a permit by the epa um and the seller waited until a week before closing to actually finish uh you know the paperwork to get the, the approval and the epa said they could take 90 days you know, to do it, especially with COVID or working from home. So it was a, it was another challenge just to get that permit. So that closing also took six months almost. I mean, from right. contract to closing, I mean, both of my deals have been, I would say about five to six month closings. I mean, just because, and, and it's all the sellers, really the sellers fault right. on both of them, but. Um, a, a couple, yeah, a couple of things there I want to add with, I mean, obviously have a lot of familiarity with that project. Some, some kind of lessons learned with where you did a good job, obviously was, identify that there's permitting needs. A lot of people don't do that. Like, oh, you need a permit. Yeah, there's, you got to look at your local permits, your state permits. Typically things like private utilities are you know, being supervised by Department of Natural Resources or a state EPA organization. This was in Illinois, is that IEPA. So you were able to identify a problem. And then I don't know how many contract amendments we had, eight amendments or something, but problem after problem to at least buy more time um, so that you didn't close and then make there that risk. And also you, you made sure the seller didn't get their money, frankly, until everything was, was rectified. But another thing that was great that you did was you identified that the seller was, you know, they had this, this massive violation 10 years ago. So they had to pay, I think it was weekly, uh, a, a weekly inspector to go out there and test the water. When now it was just new and, new and refined and superior piece of equipment and system, the current requirements only required, I think, a month. So you were right out of the gate able to have cost savings for having less professional services help. And also from a reserves or a you know budgeted CapEx, you didn't have to do as much on that well in particular because the last guy put it in there. So it's just really being diligent on those sort of matters is gonna allow you to have a better mm -hmm. operation. And it also just proves that the last guy, you know, you get stung with violations. It means you did not maintain your property, okay, for a long time. They would have been, they would have spent $200,000 in the last six months, I mean, they've been better off spending 2000 a year forever, you know, taking better care of it. Um, right. But that was you know, a, a lesson, uh, kind of a school of hard knocks for them, but it worked out well for you. I look forward to watching, watching you implement that business plan. Yeah. What, what other, what other tips or tactics have you, have you, can you share from your, your, your background or from the MHP experience um, that the rest of us can learn from? Yeah, I actually made some notes that I told you before about the, uh, I guess lessons learned throughout this process. Um, and I would say definitely budget to demo uh, 
park on homes or abandoned homes because a lot of the times not even worth it to uh, go through the rehab, especially if they're really old homes in the seven, you know, early seventies uh, that this park had a lot of. So, I mean, right out of the gate, we're probably demoing right now. We're in the process of demo uh, 26 homes, wow. which is a, it's a big project. They've been there for about now three weeks and they still have ways to go. And they're probably done about, I think last time I talked to them, they were about home number 16. Uh, it's a huge project of cleaning up that park. It was a disaster. It looked like a war zone, uh, but it was in a good area of town. And, um, you know, I saw the potential just like my other park after we cleaned it up. Um, you know, it's, you pick up the trash, get rid of the old homes and, you know, and give it a facelift and it's, um, things change. I mean, even the tenants start cleaning up once you start, once they see that you're cleaning up and you're enforcing rules, everybody or at least the tenants are going to stay. I mean, they, they start cleaning by themselves. You know, you almost don't have to pressure it. So it becomes kind of contagious. You know, they've been, li- they've, they've been used to living around trash and suddenly that you start cleaning up, they, they all start cleaning up their yards. We brought some containers and, um, you know, that, that's really working great. Um, other thing is um, one thing that I didn't budget for. I mean, you always budget and, you know, bad debt, I know was a big issue going into this deal. But one thing I didn't budget for is how many tenants were going to leave once we start enforcing the rules. And I think that when you're going into a park that's not stabilized, you got to make sure that you take into account, um, you know, you're always going to lose people, especially the ones that don't want higher rent and they don't want and rules enforced. Uh, on this park, there were people that had, uh, they were taking over three, four, five lots to store their stuff. And we told them they have to get they have to get rid of it. And um, you know, there are already some of people saying they're leaving. Who knows if they're going to leave because we're still, you know, we're still the lowest uh, rent in town. But um, I mean, that's one of the things that I didn't budget for. So I mean, I, I was budgeting to start to kind of keep the same uh, occupancy and then starting um, increasing my occupancy. So I brought in new homes six months down the road, and now I'm starting from a lower point because I'm probably going to lose. Um, about 15% of the tenants that are probably going to leave or be evicted. Um, yeah, some, I think that's really hard to budget in my experience. I mean, you, you can put some sort of figure in there. It's hard to know. I've, had, I've bought rough parks where I've, I've budgeted like half to go away and then like one or two did. It was like, oh, and, then, and obviously it can happen in the inverse as well. And, it's, and then some of them are bluffing. And like you said, where are they going to go? Not that you're going to take advantage of them, but like, look, this is going to be a better quality of living for you. I just need you to, you know, live by the rules. And there, there are some people that they just, they just can't conform to society. They're just, you know, rough mm-hmm. and tumble. I had a guy, when he finally got him evicted, we had six containers that we filled from the junk in his one yard. It, wow. it was unbelievable. And he didn't see what's wrong with that. And he built, he literally built a shed out of like sheet metal and attached it to the mobile home and just kept expanding it. And, and he had other stuff in the yard and, <laughs> You know, soda machine. You have a vending machine. Like, does it work? No. Why do you have it in front of your house? I don't know. Thought maybe one day I'll try to fix it. And the thing weighed like a thousand pounds. We couldn't even put it on the get it onto the truck. It was just unbelievable. Um, but some people just that's you know those kind of people you maybe you want them to go away. But yeah, definitely definitely messes with your financial model um, when you get those surprises. And yeah, lessons learned for sure. Yeah. And then the other thing is uh, evictions. Um especially now with what's happening, you got to make sure that um, you check your local state laws or whatever's happening with the moratoriums on eviction, because um, for example, this park in Illinois, I was hoping that 
the, they wouldn't extend it and they keep on extending. I thought it was going to be done in November. They extended the moratorium till December and they just extended it for another month. And if this keeps on going, I have uh, right now about 20, 30, sorry, 30% 30 of the tenants are not paying rent and they're just taking advantage. Um, and that's one of the things, I mean, I budgeted about 25% because I already saw that we're not paying from when I did the due diligence, but it's getting worse now. Um, and you know, they're, we're still being affected by COVID. There's unemployment and people are losing their jobs. So, I mean, it, it is affecting it, but I mean, the people that are not paying are the ones that haven't paid even pre-COVID. So it's not right. like it's a COVID issue. I mean, if it's a COVID issue, you work with a tenant, this is more of a, you know, they were used to just living for free and doing whatever they wanted. And, um, Right. It's crazy, but the prior owner never did an eviction. They just let him go free for years. I mean, so there's, I have a, uh, one person with like $12,000 of bad debt. They've never paid their, their rent. I mean, it's kind of, it's ridiculous, but that's kind of why it, what, yeah. what it was inherited okay. with this deal. That might, that might be a record. It's something I want to point <laughs> out. I'm familiar with Illinois too. Um, I want to point out is the eviction moratorium in Illinois is, is more onerous than the CDC eviction moratorium because you can still evict in some places right now, just not for non-payment rent. You can evict for other rules and, and other violations. Illinois, the governor is about as liberal as they come and just said, people should not pay rent. They're, you know, the, the industry is sick. Um, and uh, my family lives in Illinois and there's all these signs that say Pritzker socks, Governor Pritzker. They put in yards on Pritzker socks and then after it says the life out of business and the life out of families, that kind of thing. So he's in downstate. He's very unpopular. Chicago, they seem to love him. But yeah, his his rules is like they, these people. Everybody in the state knows you don't pay rent. So so people are not you know by and large you know, and especially some of the people that have been uh, sketchy payers historically. Yeah, that's that's um, definitely exacerbated by governmental policy. Yep, it's crazy, but that's that's what's happening. At least in Florida, we you know that they they back in October it was done and they didn't renew it and you know it's helping at least um if they don't apply for the CDC at least you can do it through a regular eviction right and what we've seen in Florida is that once you start filing they just leave I mean it's kind of they don't want it in the record but here it's it's a different crowd and it's been very hard to get him to pay I mean um so we'll see I mean right now I can't wait for the moratorium to end because once they see that we're serious about evicting I'm sure that a lot of them will either start paying or will just leave the home and uh already two people left and that's the other thing that's interesting is that suddenly you start inheriting all these homes that they they abandon and if they're in decent shape you can actually go back and sell them and make money out of it so it does help I guess to pay for some of the cleanup and capex so we just got two homes and they actually gave us the titles before they left that's great so they just said, we're not going to pay rent, but here the title signed and take the home. So, um, which was, it's great. I mean, there's not a lot of, you know, you don't get a lot of those, but, um, you know, that, that was pretty good. Other things that I've learned, I'm doing, um, I'm installing individual meters, even though it's a private utilities, because, uh, I found out from the IEPA and the Illinois Commerce Department that I can actually build back utilities to the tenants, even though they're private. And it is costing a fortune in that park. Um, you know, people think private utilities, the water's free, but it isn't. You're paying for a lot of uh, lab tests. Uh, you have to have an inspector there five days a week. And the same with the wastewater treatment plant. So just the inspector is 2,500 bucks a month for both uh, for the wastewater and the well. 
then you got to pay the chemicals, the chlorine, and you got to pay all the pump system, the, the electrical bill, which is probably another grand a month. So, I mean, it adds up. So what I'm on the new leases, I already announced this on this park, I'm charging back utilities. I did order the meters because there's a lot of water leaks at the park. Mm-hmm. And but one thing I found out is you really can't install water meters in the middle of the winter in Illinois. Being a Florida guy, <laughs> I just figure it out. But um, you might be able to. You might be able to. It's it's what we're just recording. It's the 18th of December. We've got guys going to Des Moines next week. Des Moines is even colder than that. It's just it's a dirty job, man. Because especially water lines pressurized. I got a crew of guys that do it, and they're they're tough, man. They're underneath the home. They got the little uh, poncho wetsuits on, but they you get sp- you get sprayed in the face and. You know, you can't, you got to turn the water off the whole park, you know, if you're going to do it, if you want to do it right, but it's hard to do that for hours and hours and days and days. Mm-hmm. So sub metering can be, it's definitely a, it's not for the weak of art, you know, for sure. But, um, okay. but maybe, maybe you can squeeze it in this winter. Um, and then another thing I did find out that's helping both deals is check your trash bill versus the actual occupied sites. Because in both parks, I found out they were paying for like, 20 sites that were never have, haven't been occupied or that were not that I mean in the first park they didn't even have homes on it and they were paying for the trash to pick up in those homes in the second park they had about 20 extra homes that were that were picking up trash for that didn't really have any tenants so uh that's that's usually an, an interesting place to find some savings right up front I mean so um yeah great well, I appreciate it, Larry. Any other any other thing else you want to share, and or how can people reach you and find you if they want to connect with you after this? Yeah, my uh, I have two websites. One is a uh, broadviewcapcap.com, and my email is Larry at broadviewcap.com. If you want to reach me, and we also have our community website, which is uh, broadviewcommunities.com. All right, sounds great. Thanks, Larry. I appreciate you coming on. No, well, thanks for having me. It was great. You got it. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review, and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.